1: Vice President of Creative Strategy, Innovation, and Business Development at the Second City. This podcast is about collaborative conversations, discovering connections, and building a better future. This is Getting to Yes And. You want to come see us talk live on the Getting to Yes And podcast? Well, I'm going to be talking to Keegan-Michael Key, Second City alum, and L Key about their new book, The History of Sketch Comedy, A Journey Through the Art and Craft of Humor, on October 5th at 7 p.m., the Francis Parker School. This is part of the Chicago Humanities Festival. If you want to get tickets, go to chicagohumanities.org. Today's podcast is with Hal Hirschfield, who is a professor of marketing, behavioral decision-making, and psychology at UCLA's Anderson School of Management and holds the UCLA Anderson Board of Advisors term chair in management. He's got a terrific new book. It's called Your Future Self, How to Make Tomorrow Better Today. Enter the pod.
0: Another Better left unsaid. Days can be counted by the time to tattoo. Tomorrow's just another, like the one that comes next. The car of the highway that leads to the job at the desk by the boss with the elegant watch. The tick of the clock and the tick of the clock mark the moments till the ticking stops.
1: Al Hirschfield, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Kelly. Happy to be here. In the introduction to your new book, you describe a scenario from a novella by Ted Chang. Can you actually tell us that scenario
0: and how it relates to the theme of your book? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's this fantastic sci fi uh little little short story and just to be totally clear, my book is not sci-fi. Um no. this, <laughs> despite my next door neighbor asking me if that was the case. And I was like, I think you don't know uh what I do. Mm-hmm. Um and and in that particular short story, there is um this you know merchant and there's an alchemist and the um the alchemist basically uh is going to this little merchant store and uh And the merchant basically gives him an opportunity to walk through a gate, um, and essentially step forward in time, uh, and meet his future self. And, and, and I won't give away much more than that, but it presents these really interesting questions of what would you want to know? Like if you were to walk through such a gate, um, you know, would you, what sort of questions would you ask your future self? Like, would you change anything about the way that you live in the present? And, and maybe the flip side is like, what, what questions wouldn't you ask? What would you want to leave Mm -hmm. to be surprised about? Which I thought was a fascinating sort of angle there. And so much of my research, so much of the, the book itself is all about the ways that we can get to know and get to shape our future selves, even even under the sort of you know knowledge that it's 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 very hard to get to know that person and um and yet we we can do some things now to shape their outcomes and their well-being
1: so i'm curious before how would you personally have answered that question would you have gone to that future yeah. portal always or is that something that's
0: evolved over time so i probably I probably would have. And I feel like my knee jerk is still to say, yes, I definitely would. Um, but now, you know, the things I'd want to know are much more general, you know, Mm -hmm. I'd want to know, you know, am I still happy? Uh, you know, is my, my spouse and my wife, you know, happy and healthy, like, did things work out okay for my kids? Um, but you know, I say on the surface because, um, I'm totally fine knowing those things. Assuming that the answers are positive, because
1: <laughs> well, that's, that's, I, I ain't going. I, I am such a hard no on this thing. I don't know, and I I mean uh, I thought about it. Like I didn't even have to think about it quickly. And of course, part you know, in improvisation, we're so present focused. Right. Uh, my wife makes fun of me in regard to this all the time because she's like what do you you got on for today or this week and i'm like i don't know unless (laughs) unless it's like a speaking date where i know i have to wear a thing or go i just i don't want to know i would rather walk in and have the day greet me and you know i and also the fear of like one of those is negative and i gotta come back here and then you know i start getting all like star trek on it too like am i gonna upset the forces of the universe if i try to do something differently based on information i've got
0: Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, and th- this is where this gets like trippy really fast, because if you were to tell me something negative, but I could change it, but it wouldn't have an impact on the rest of the universe. Well, oh, what does that mean? You know, and, and, on, and on and on, on that you very quickly riding. descending into baby <laughs> <Very> quickly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think
1: that one of the most provocative things you say, and it's a short sentence, um, you are actually a, we uh, yeah. to me is really, really, Important and has come up. Literally, I'm, I'm going to be interviewing uh, a sports psychologist who has a very similar uh, take uh, in Michael Gervais, and in, in his work mm-hmm. around that because it's this. We're so obsessed, especially in this country, with these ideas of freedom and what they mean, and and sometimes mm-hmm. I think they do us a disservice. And and that being the point that we are a we.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Right, and I you know I think part of what I take from that that sort of idea is that there are different versions of us out there. um, And we're not sort of just one being and we're not, we're not one being right now in the present and we're certainly not one over time.
1: Mm. Um, I am wondering whether you got pushback from your editor slash publisher over the uh, story that you start chapter one with. (laughs)
0: Um, So I did, you know, I start chapter one with this, the story of the serial killer, you know, in, in Brazil and Mm -hmm. he's, I found him, you know, my, my guilty pleasure. I, which my wife is well aware of is that I like to listen to this one true crime podcast. And it's like, you know, the only reason I say it's a guilty pleasure is because I'm always complaining about all the things I have to do. And then it's like, I find time for that. Well, you know, right. Whatever. One of the episodes focused on this serial killer who is actually the real life inspiration for Dexter, Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he basically only killed quote-unquote bad guys, um, other criminals, right? Like Uh, hundreds of them too, right? Yes, I mean, and insane, insane, Mm -hmm. and like many of whom were killed while he was in prison, which is like, uh, wow. Um, Now, he also got released from prison after 35 years, which is like another insane element of the story. You know, there's these Mm -hmm. loopholes in the Brazilian penal code, blah, blah, blah. But his story was super interesting because he essentially morphs into a new person. Now I know we have to question all of this, right? This is, you know, the way he tells it, but after a certain point, at some point he was in prison and he says, if I can only get out of this situation, I promise I will never kill again. I'll never be violent again. And ostensibly, that is in fact what he does. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I thought it was this incredible story of the ways in which we can truly be a, we over time that there's these different versions of us. It's a really extreme case. Um, I I didn't get pushback um, from my uh, publisher. However, the first book talk I gave was to my daughter's first grade class, um, and oh, this no. wasn't a story I brought up there. Okay, good, 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 <laughs> good, good,
1: good. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it, it's obviously it's it's a fun, provocative way to to begin a book about this this journey, and and I think that this idea of the static oneself. And I, I find this interesting because obviously in, in the sort of we talk about improv a lot on this, mostly on this podcast, but comedy as well, occasionally. And right. obviously comedy is some, one of the one of the art forms that absolutely recognizes the many selves there. There's nothing funny if someone's consistent. <laughs> that is that's the opposite. No, true. That's such so, a great
0: insight.
1: Yeah, I, I you know, and and so so this this that's a, a truth. Again, we're reflecting truth. That's what comedy also also does. um But still, we're what we're what we're fighting against is a cultural trope that, as Americans, is just continually shoved down our throat. In Every aspect of uh, literature and film and even music. And, you know, it's the soul renegade and, and, and this sort of in un- the unchanging character and the, the idea like with politicians that if they change their mind, they're somehow bad. And you're
0: like, please change your mind. Right. Right. I, I find this to be such an interesting thing because to me, it feels so liberating and so freeing to allow for the possibility of change and to allow yeah. for the possibility of transformation But you're right. I I never put my finger on it like the way that you said it. It's somewhat of a cultural trope to sort of, you know, value and almost like, I I don't know, put up on a pedestal the idea of permanence. Um, And now I I think to some degree that that stems from our inability to deal with, you know, thinking about the (laughs) our own impermanence, right? We we don't want (laughs) to think about that. And we'd also don't want to think about it in terms of like, our relationships it's somewhat confronting to think about my spout, my wife changing over time or my best friends changing over time and yet we do we do
1: yeah We're absolutely <laughs> news newsflash everyone you completely you you do and 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 i think the the people who the people who seem least happy to me and my various friend groups are the ones who stuck to the thing the same thing that they didn't like before but it's the thing they know and whether it's a job or a relationship or whatever and they get to this place and it's like oh you know i i know in our in our work we really value it in, in terms of improvisation this idea of transformation that you are that that just make just being funny really enough for us it's like in what way can can you transform which requires this this kind of change. There's another way you talk about this and it's in chapter 2 when you talk about this business trip to I uh to Iceland and the Yale philosophy professor Laurie Paul pre- presenting this
0: idea. Can you can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I I was in um Iceland of all places for this very small academic conference and like I just for what it's worth, I that's like not my normal location for small academic conferences. So this is what I'm worried. (laughs) People are going to think this is like this jet setter who loves serial killers. Yeah. Yeah. What a life. What a life. Um, You know, so this was at a point in time where, you know, life was a little freer. We didn't have kids. My wife also came along and I'm like in this little room, it's like, we're all the way in Iceland. The conference is literally at the blue Lagoon spa, Mm -hmm. which has a conference room, which is hilarious because it's like, you don't go there for the conference. room, But there we are. We're in this conference room. And I'm like starting to think a little jealously of my, you know, my wife's out there. She's like gallivanting around Iceland, taking these pictures. I'm stuck in this room. And Ellie Paul, uh, the BL philosopher, she gets up there and she says, imagine you have this opportunity to become a vampire. And I was like, what a weird, what a weird question. And she like, she basically kind of like keeps going with this. And she says, you know, all your friends are doing it. They say you'll love it. There's only one catch. Uh, Once you become a vampire, you can't undo it. Like you can't just say like I'm I'm good now I'm gonna go back I'll take the red pill now I'll go back you you're just you're that way forever mm-hmm. now th- like three days four days before the trip we found out that my wife was pregnant with our first kid mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'm I'm like sitting there in this room. I definitely like run high on the anxiety spectrum anyway, but I'm like sitting there and I'm like starting to have like a massive amount of anxiety. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, like my friends are becoming parents. They're telling me it's great. I'm a, you know, I'm going to become a parent, but I I can't undo it. This is just like becoming a vampire. And she sort of jumps in and she's like, of course, this story is all about becoming a parent. It's also about any sort of big yeah. transition we go through and her point was that we can't anticipate the ways that changes change us. Yeah. So, you know, I can say I want to become a parent. I can say I want to move cities. I want to change careers. And I won't really fully know what that's like until I do it. And then once I do it, my preferences may change in ways that I can't anticipate. And it's, that's scary. You know, it's like, it's, it's a little bit problematic to not know the ways in which we'll change. But then if you sort of lean into that and have some compassion for yourself. You say, well, at the end of the day, that that's the best I can do. The best I can do is to sort of like hope and know and ask people for advice about how how their lives are after they've made these changes and then maybe jump in myself.
1: I mean, I think the thing, the parenting thing, and, and Paul Bloom talks about this, Dan Pink talks about mm-hmm, this. It's like, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not like, it, 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 it's hard and it's not good necessarily most of the time. It is really, right. you know, you, you don't get sleep. There's things that happen. You know, it's, it's very, very hard. That being said, that being said I don't regret it at all. Right. I don't right. think you, you probably don't either. But I mean, no, it, it's no, like, no. and this is, this is again, why I don't want to meet that future self. <laughs> because, I, uh, because for, for me it's sort of like the 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 discovery aspect is the joy f- for me you know or the or the the zag you know i thought it was going to be a zig this end up being a zag oh well that's kind of that's that that's fun and i know for other people they 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 want it to be predictive but the re- but the, i think the reality that you're saying is there, you actually say in the book quote we can never really know our future selves
0: that's right that's right. And I, you know, I stand by that. And well, you know, you've got me now really rethinking like whether I'd want to go through that gate. Um Good. <laughs> You're like, sh- should the opportunity present itself, maybe think twice.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think I think you're you're better off uh be, being here. Um I, I thought this this I this idea that you play with in, in chapter three is around relationships with our future selves. And I was really quite moved by um, the story of Arnie Johnson who was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease and started writing letters. Yeah. So what kind of letters yeah. did he start writing?
0: So this was this is years and years ago, and he this was a man who was he was diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and he starts writing letters while he's you know sort of slowly uh, deteriorating so much so that he even starts dictating them to his nurse now i heard this story from his son um uh ryan who's um you know in his mid to late 40s now and he's, he was around 10 i think at the time and you know when his father was was going through this and he said i didn't know what he was doing but i knew he was always writing letters the day arnie dies um ryan's the one who actually finds him And he says, you know, amidst all of the shock and confusion and sadness and all the things, some of which are expected, some of which aren't his mother hands a letter to him. And the letter is from Arnie from his father. And it's basically a letter saying, you know, more or less here, here's, here's what I want you to think about this day. Like while, Mm while, you know, the day that I've gone, he's written the letter to be delivered the day that he dies. But he wrote, Dozens of these to his other kids to his wife to friends, and he's written the he wrote these letters for milestones in his kid's life, so you know i and I said I just talked to Ryan, but he was you know when he's going to graduate college and high school and when he himself has his own first kid and and interestingly, he even wrote letters for milestones that would occur to his son that he hadn't yet experienced, wow, which is Fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, I, I really was drawn to that story because I think it was suggestive of the idea that there's this, there's this version of the self that can kind of continue on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we know this. There's nobody that's you know sort of surprised by that idea, right? That, you know, right. sure, we carry memories with us. But to me, this was a really concrete example of essentially having the values and ideals of somebody... Um, sort of get intentionally infused, or at least you know, made salient for one's offspring, um, you know, in a way that lasted far beyond um, their mm-hmm. lifetime, far beyond the likelihood that we even tell stories about them, you know. Right. Um, right.
1: So that is, so it feels like there's a couple gifts with this. Uh, the obvious gift, of course, is is to the people that are left behind. But I think the other gift is clearly to himself in terms of, you know, giving giving back in ter- to what is most important. And 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 I, I would imagine there's so much literature about writing things down, right? right. That, that right. seems so simple. But I mean, I recall in therapy everything from yeah, write this thing down and then throw it away, yep. to yep. you know, to, to whatever other kinds of journaling you might be doing. Um, but then that, that act of, of, of doing that forces you to be very concrete in terms of what is important, not just what is important, how it might be important. And then, and then, and then that really, really relational thing. It's just, it's,
0: I don't know. It was, it was very, very moving. I agree with you. You know, it's interesting because from a, you know, I'm a researcher first and foremost, and I. I would love to do the research study where you actually get people to do, you know, to do the well-controlled study where you get people to write these letters to their offspring and loved ones, you know, far beyond their own lifetime. I'm so curious what it would, what it would actually do. And I think your insights are spot on. Like, I think it would have to be sort of legacy boosting. I think it might provide some clarity for values and, um, but it also might make you feel as if, you know, a little bit more relaxed about you know eventually leaving 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 the world. Um so you used to be into Guster. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> That's a great transition. <laughs>
1: I, I know I, didn't, I, I needed to get to this and I know it's later in the book, but I'm not going to have this guy. Cause I, you know, I put Guster on my 4th of July playlist. Uh, and it definitely, and my, my wife, and I've not talked to my wife about this book very much. I have a little bit, but I didn't tell her this part. And she was like, this is a retro pl- playlist from Kelly Leonard. And I'm like, yeah, I have a little Amsterdam on there. Um, oh, that's and, they, and I think they're recently, and I just got my tickets. Um, uh, to squeeze in the psychedelic furs who are coming to us. Oh, school. wow.
0: That's an even further back. Yeah, that's. Yeah, no, it's back. even
1: further back. I'm pretty excited. That's uh, cool. That's cool. But, but uh, and, and and you're a big, as I am, you like the national now. I like him too. Why do you talk about this in the book?
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because I want everyone to know what my musical preferences in the 1990s were. Of course. Of course. And end of story. Yeah. Why else would I talk about it? Well, so, you know, I talk about it because one of the sort of ideas I spotlight in the book is one called the end of history illusion, Mm -hmm. which is a great name for something that, uh, some researchers, Jordy Quadbach, Dan Gilbert, Tim Wilson came up with, which is basically the idea that I know that I have changed from the past to the present. But ironically, I somehow think that my rate of change will slow down as I move from the present to the future. Basically, Mm -hmm. we somehow think that like now is the period of time that we're, we're fully baked. Yes. Which is, which is a very funny notion because if I can at once recognize that I've changed from the past to the present, why wouldn't I be able to see that the same things would occur moving from the present to the future? Now, the reason this is really interesting is because one consequence of this mistake is that we may lock our future selves right. uh, into decisions that that we might not really make if we were appreciative of the fact that their preferences their ideals their values may change just as ours have uh, in the past now in the in the research paper they asked people how much would they pay to see their favorite band from 10 years ago um and it's considerably less than how much would they pay to see their favorite band now in 10 years you know and the this sort of wrinkle there is that i can say in my own life guster was coming to play at the hollywood forever cemetery this is like it's actually like a really cool venue yeah yeah yeah. and this is right right before covid i want to say the tickets were like 20 bucks they weren't that much per person compared you to how much the, and you didn't be. get the guster tickets and i was like oh, oh well i mean you know this is a little la uh details yeah. for you but like that's a killer drive on a week night blah 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 like i came up with all sorts of reasons to be like "Ah, oh, that'd be fun but i don't think i'm gonna do it now meanwhile you know the national plays and i'm like finding like how can i like you know, take out a small loan to pay for these tickets. And if you asked me, would I still want to see them in the future? Like I'd say, yeah, how could my preferences change? And it's, it's just a really funny example. That's a funny example. I think of how we don't fully appreciate our preferences changing. And yet like it, it it can really work out to be detrimental if we in, 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 in other contexts, in other contexts.
1: It's funny. My music story on this is so when I, I'm older than you and I grew up a deadhead. So uh, nice, I, nice. and we're talking original dead Jerry Garcia. Totally. Uh, and then he, he dies and I am not into any of the sort of what I, what I used to call the fake dead bands. Yep, and I have a bunch yep, of friends yep. who would, and they'd go to fish and everything. And I'm just like, Nope, this is like that. That wasn't the scene. And then I think I, there's a couple years ago I happened across some bootleg as, as one does. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to watch this. And it was John Mayer with it. And they were great. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, <laughs> this is really. And so they just, they're on their final tour. I said to my wife, I'm like, uh, am I okay spending a thousand dollars to get one ticket to go see dad at weirdly field? And she's like, if you want to like, like you can. And I didn't, uh, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> but I that I, I was real close um and 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 but it did bring up the sort of negotiation of like okay what it what is it that I remember what am i looking for and what I knew by not i di- I really didn't think I would regret it in the long run because my values are a little bit different now in the sense that I'm I probably value more sitting in my garden with a book and a glass of scotch. Yep. Yep. And old, and old Kelly would be like, you're the most boring human being alive.
0: Totally. Yeah. I, I say totally. Cause I agree. You, you sound like the most, no, I'm just kidding. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, this is by the way, I think this is at least to me quite relatable. Uh, you know, sometimes I think about that time travel, Trip, yeah. like if I were to have like zoomed ahead and been like I am totally content you know we we just finished watching jury duty yeah and it, like the amount of contentment that I got from sitting around having a like a glass of wine watching that with my wife was like it, like actually I think I may be misremembering far outweighed the contentment I got from like going to a party in college no I mean obviously there's different goals and there's different mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. sorts of things change but how how funny to not be able to recognize that, and then you start asking yourself, what sort of things in the future will I be doing that this version of me right now would look at and look at quizzically and say, "How how is that something you're doing?" <laughs> and I, yeah. I I don't know. I don't so know.
1: I'm, just, I'm curious
0: because this comes up all the time on this podcast, and, and it's it's
1: I forget who was Gretchen Rubin or something. It's like like in my third or fourth podcast. Someone used the term me search. Uh, which at that point five years ago I had not heard. Yes, but every one of you is doing me search. There's just no. I, I've yet to find someone who's not doing me search. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So um, are you trying to ha- are you trying to hack yourself for for future happiness or what's going on here?
0: No, you know it's funny because I mean when I first started doing it I didn't see the me search connection as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's you know look there's certain one thing to keep in mind is that all of this stuff there's sort of domain specificity, which is a fancy term to say I can be future oriented in some spaces and not in other ones, you know? Okay. And so in, you know, for me, it's like, look, I'm, I i have thought about this stuff. I take care of, you know, my, I, I take care of our finances and, you know, my health and this sort of stuff. But then like with relationships, mm-hmm. this is where I think, you know, not to get like too personal, but sometimes, sometimes I really overvalue the present. And what I mean by that is like, I'm pretty conflict averse, you yeah. know, I like, I, and and I, you know, I try to avoid a conflict and I wait and wait. And it's like, that's a real version of prioritizing my comfort in the present and, you mm-hmm. know, really sort of devaluing like the eventual discomfort I'll feel in the future when like I haven't taken care of something or, you know, another version of this is like um, being fully present yeah. in my interactions, which sounds weird. It's like, I think about the future and then I'm not fully present, but um, you know, my kids are little and I, you know, I have been really thinking about this a lot lately where I I hit that moment of boredom and pull out my phone and they're ne- they're right nearby and then my son asked me the same question twice and I'm like, okay. man, what like well, how bad is that? Like wh- what could I possibly be doing <laughs> on yeah. my phone that yeah. would be worth ignoring this, you know? And then, you know, of course, it's like I get it, everybody does this, right? But So, so my, my version of the me search is to try to figure out, you know, what are the ways that I can like act now so that later on I'll be like more satisfied, um, with my choices, but like to hack my future self, I don't know if I'm quite there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I refuse to put TikTok. I don't, I, I, I got TikTok on my phone, took it off i can't and and my son's always watching stuff on there i'm like i just can't i can't i'm already too addicted to what i have yep and and mostly i use it for work purposes but you know yep yep these are very very powerful devices and i think what's interesting too and this comes up a lot in, in the pod you write in the book quote happiness and sadness were not two poles of one dimension but rather could peacefully coexist this is a hard thing for people to understand, and it's the, the there is no suffering without joy. There's no joy without suffering, and this yeah. is this is something that has been taught to us many, many times. Yet we still don't seem to like it. Um, but it's just a fact of of what it means to to be a human, and we are social creatures. So we are always going to be connected to people, whether we're in a room with them or not. Um, And and that at the end of the day, I think is is for me one of the most sort of profound ways that I don't lose it every day based on oh I don't know the fact that I couldn't walk outside in Chicago last week because it was impossible to breathe the air (laughs) while the Supreme Court is handing down judgments I find deplorable right right. (laughs) while while there's shootings going on you know
0: thirty miles from me or sometimes three blocks from me right. Right. No, I mean, I think this is one of the hardest things to grapple with that we sort of start with the notion that the emotions we experience should be sort of, you know, opposing each other. Like if I'm happy, I can't be sad. If I'm sad, I can't be happy. I think that notion, by the way, is really problematic because like you said, it may mean that there are times when there's plenty of things to be sad about around us and then we somehow miss the positive things because we're so focused on those and vice versa we could you know so so much lean into the positive that we ignore the little cracks along the way only to find that they've gotten worse and bigger um over time you know the the the, the sort of personal example of this i remember is like when my when my daughter started going to preschool and i would you know drive her home and say, how was your day? And it was like silence. And I realized, you know, after talking to her teacher that that's a really confusing question for a two-year-old because how was your day? There's so many things that have happened, you know, and it's like, oh, tell me a good thing. Tell me a bad thing. Tell me times when they are both there. All of a sudden I could get her talking. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the same is true in our adult lives as well, which is that nothing is one flavor. Um, but if we think it's so, that's when I think we run into to problems. So sort of recognizing the coexistence can allow us to sort of push through and see some insight into the negatives to to then ultimately deal with them uh, as we as we move into the future.
1: Yeah. I, I think, you know, just as as you know, I mean, we're 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 just so wired. So, for that fear part of our brain, especially the unknown, any yep. sort of navigating ambiguity, it's give me a pattern that I can make sense of. I was, what's the heuristic? What's my shortcut that I can take to, to be like, I've seen this thing before? And it's like, and we're, you know, we, I worked a bunch with Nick Epley. We're mostly wrong. Yep. <laughs> yes. So, that's yes. also like, no. And of course we are. Like, like the analogy I always use when I'm talking about this is like, the
0: best hitters in in baseball are missing the ball. 70% of the (laughs) time. Yeah. I I love that. I love that. You know, it's like hall of fame numbers would, you know, yeah. How many, how many shots did Jordan miss? Like, right. Right. Way more than he made. Probably. Right. 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 It's so, it's such a useful perspective to keep in mind. Um, mm. I remember uh, Elliot Aronson, who is a great social psychologist from the 70s and 80s. I mean, n- not just from then, but back then he had written that, you know, if a small portion of his research studies sort of quote unquote, work out or result in some insight or publishable insight, you know, 30% would be a hall of fame numbers. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so- you know, well, and this, no,
1: I mean that that brings up a topic, of course, that's all over social media for better or worse these days. But I mean the 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 fact that they call it a repli- replication crisis. I mean, I
0: right. I would also call it the scientific method. I, I don't like. It's always been the case. A hundred percent, you know, and I, it's it's really interesting because I think we can look at this with with two lenses. One lens is part of the problem. I think is that there was so much pressure to get numbers that were far surpassed Hall of Fame numbers. Yeah. Um, And, you know, this is then uh, not to get too far down the weeds, but that's when researchers start doing questionable practices that lead to results that might not be replicable. But then, you know, your insight, I think, is a great one, which is, well, that, you know, this is part of how science moves forward. We We find out which specific things replicate, literally, which things sort of conceptually replicate, which ideas sound great, but, you know, they're not. Mm -hmm. they don't really hold water when they're tested, you know? And so this is, this is, you're right. This is actually moving forward in progress. So we always end the podcast asking our guests for a yes and story. Do you have one for us? Yeah. um, So, I, okay, so I, always, you know, all my research has been on this sort of tendency to focus too much on the now and not later. It's called, you know, myopia. Mm-hmm. A- and there's also this research on what's called hyperopia, which is that you focus so much on the future that you miss the present. Mm-hmm. You, know, you you so you bury you bury your head in, and then you kind of look up and you realize that you've just missed things. And one idea that I've been exploring a lot lately with uh, Jennifer Ocker and Cassie Holmes, two of my collaborators, is the idea that when we're making these. Um, decisions about things that have consequences now and later. So often we think about them in terms of the weather, and not the weather outside, but the weather W-H-E-T-H-E-R, right? So w- whether I should do this or not. So it's an or approach. You know, I, I can either do this thing now or do something later. And lately I've been really thinking a lot about the decisions that we make in terms of the. Call it the both and, or, Mm -hmm. you know, just the when approach, right? So when can I, I mean, to take a really surface level example, when can I have like a, you know, a big night out eating and drinking Mm -hmm. and, and when does it make sense not to, not just only in the narrow term of like tonight I can or tonight I can't, well, let's look at the bigger picture. Let's look at, you know, what we're calling sort of a broad view of time. Let's look down at our calendars, both on, you know, a literal level, but also on the big picture and say, well, when do I want to slot these things in? When am I going to focus on this aspect of my life? And when am I going to focus on another one? Now, we're sort of just in the phase of like really testing this empirically, but it raises this question of, you know, the both and both the present and the future. I mean, that's the superpower of
1: reframing, right? If you've got the ability to reframe something and and maybe ask a better question or a different question or that sort of thing, you have opened up all kinds of possibilities. And I think, unfortunately, it's just it's the easier move, like we were talking about before, just to be like, this is going to be good or bad. It's going to be yes or no.
0: Exactly, exactly. And I think sort of putting those together, you can sort of recognize what well, there could be the good and the bad. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, of course, you know, of course there is. Yeah, that, that that's what it's going to be. Uh, the book is called Your Future Self, How to Make
1: Tomorrow Better Today. Hal Hirschfield, thanks for coming on the pod. Thanks, Kelly. I really appreciate it. Getting to Yes and is produced by Second City Works and WGN Radio. Our editor is Iridian Fierro from WGN. We get support at The Second City from Colleen Fahey, Mike Farinaccio, and Emma Smith. The music you hear at the beginning and end of the show is by Jukebox The Ghost. For more information about The Second City, you can go to www.secondcity.com or you can email us directly at works at secondcity.com.